0: Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kynos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara.
1: And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. We are back post-hurricane, post-earthquake and hurricane. Right. We had spotty internet. It was raining, but we will rebuild. So I know that you guys were worried about us, but here in California, we're okay. Thank
0: you for the update. <laughs> You're welcome. We didn't die in Hurricane Hillary.
1: Yeah, we made it. Well, every so often we get uh, messages uh, in our social media DMs or via email asking us questions about the Bible or theology. And we do our best to get back to folks with the best answers that we can provide to those questions. Uh, But some folks, you ask interesting enough questions that we wanted to share them with all of you, uh, because uh, maybe some of you who are listening have had questions that Uh, You didn't DM us about, but other people did, so we wanted to share some of those responses with you. We can't promise that we'll provide the best answers to these questions, uh, but hopefully we can give you some food for thought as you you continue your own exploration and reading and research in that. So we have a few questions that have come up that we wanted to work through with you, and so that's what we are going to do today, but we're going to dive into that in just a moment. So today we're diving into some miscellaneous questions about theology and the Bible, and the first one is about one of the more pressing matters of life, and that is, will we see our pets in heaven? I'm actually surprised at how common this question is. Uh, Maybe it's a surprise to me because I'm not that much of a pet lover person, Um, so I guess pet owners, like y'all are just built different because this is at the forefront of so many people's minds. And the Bible, it neither confirms nor denies whether animals have eternal souls or whether our specific pets will be in heaven. But we do have some kind of indication that uh, some kind of animals will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, As a general note, you could probably make the inference that animals will be in heaven because uh, it was part of God's design to have animals when he first created the world uh, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. and. Adam named all the animals, and we also see other references to kind of the new creation and animals being there. One example is in Isaiah. Uh, this is Isaiah uh, 11, 6. It says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lay down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the and calf together, and a little child will lead them all. And so that's one of many different um, references in Isaiah 2, animals being in the new heavens and the new earth, although it's a bit more of a metaphor that there will be no violence in heaven, uh, but we'll give that to the animal lovers. There were, We'll take that literally, that there will be animals. Uh, if you uh, read in Revelation, you hear about the four living creatures, uh, so they are animals, um, although I wouldn't really consider them uh, housebroken animals if you kind of look at the description of them. Uh, they, they, are a little bit more scary than that. But that what really do you think, joke. Tamara?
0: That was a great joke. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. We're so
1: far off to a good start. <laughs> we are. But what do you think, Tamara? Will Fido be there with us? Fido? Yes.
0: That's not the name of our dog.
1: And, uh, Spike.
0: That's not the name of our dog either.
1: And, cause we don't have a dog. We've never had a dog. I mean,
0: the kids really want a dog. And so they have names for their, their dogs that are yet to come.
1: Okay, will Cinda and Hookah be in? Cinda,
0: Hookah, and Doug. Doug? Doug the dog. (laughs) Doug from. So we have three dogs, and their names are
1: Cinda, Hookah, and Doug. This is what happens when you let the three year old name your pets. (laughs) Anyways, will Cinda, Hookah, and Doug?
0: Hookah's a fun one. Should we
1: ever get them? Yes. Be uh in heaven. By the way, I feel like we should explain hookah. We should. Like it, it, he didn't name it after like like smoking hookah. No. I think he just put random syllables together and he thought that that was funny. Yes. Same thing with Cinda. Yes. So that that's the disclaimer. But will they be with us in the new heavens and the new earth?
0: I mean I Do they I, get
1: resurrection bodies?
0: Uh, oh, well that's a really big question. I think if obviously the Bible doesn't say and that's already what we have explained, um, there's references in the New Heaven and the New Earth and you think about like What we understand the new heaven and the new earth to be is not a complete like blow up the old one and let's start over. But this idea of redeeming the creation that God made and his original intended plan. So I imagine like animals will be in the new heavens and new earth. But yeah, I don't know.
1: So you're saying gun to your head. Will Fido be there? I don't know. I'm going to say no. Why and are you I'm, saying no i'm I know I'm being contrarian. I say no because I think humans are unique in that through the redemption of Jesus Christ, we are granted eternal life. I don't think that that eternal life to individual creatures okay, is so, granted to anyone yeah, other so, than the humans who call upon the name of Jesus,
0: right, because animals don't have salvation like Christ didn't come to save the animals.
1: are animals fallen? Yes. So animals are sinful?
0: Animals are fallen just like, well, all of the earth is, is cursed, right? I right. mean, think about weeds in the ground Yes, that you have to like
1: Again, not a pull. reference to smoking.
0: Weeds, yes, thank you. <laughs> There's weeds in the ground that you have to pull. Like you, you read about that when, um, in Genesis 3, like it talks about that you will now labor and toil over the ground where that wouldn't have been something that would have happened before. So even the earth is feeling the pains of sin. Now, is the earth itself sinful? I don't think so. But are there like rippling effects because of the fact that sin has entered into the world? And every single thing in the world is tainted by that. So animals included.
1: But then does Fido... Is he part of the redemption plan? So your specific
0: dog Fido? No.
1: So he won't be there?
0: Well, will animals be there in general?
1: But will my animal be
0: there? Oh probably not.
1: Oh, okay. So we agree on that. Yeah. I feel But I do
0: think there are gonna be animals in general because Will we have pets? I don't know. But the, or is the, there a
1: form of subjugation that's part of the, the fall? But the reality
0: is when it comes to heaven, it's not as if we're going to be longing for a pet in the way that we long for them now because we long for the companionship. Like there's there's these aspects of uh, pet owners that like there's some fulfillment within having a pet, right? So I'm told. Yeah, we don't have pets. So I understand. But And that's why when when pets die, like it's genuinely... A difficult loss for pet owners. It's not equivalent to losing a kid, but...
1: Some would argue. No. They would be wrong, but they would argue.
0: It's not equivalent to losing a kid, but I can understand and empathize with the pain and the grieving process of losing something you loved, right? Right. So... um. Do I think people's specific dog that they owned here on this side of eternity is going to be in heaven? No, because salvation is only for humanity and people with souls like God came to save humanity, not to save um, Fido. Fido. So I guess my answer was like, yeah, animals will be in heaven. But uh, that's a different answer than will your specific dog, Cinda be in heaven?
1: So you heard Um, it here first, folks. Tamara thinks that your dog is worm food, and you'll never see him again.
0: Oh my goodness, you're so heartless. People (laughs) genuinely care about their animals. But heaven will
1: be great, and you will have oh, that's what I was going to say.
0: You you keep cutting me off.
1: Okay, that's what I I
0: was going to say. Is heaven is not going to leave you longing for a pet to um, fill any like void in your life. Like God is sufficient in all of that, to where you're not going to be in heaven longing and wishing um, your pet was there. That's what I was trying to. That's what I was trying to get at. But you kept.
1: That's a good response. Yeah. Okay. So keeping with the theme of animals, um, can you be a Christian and still believe in dinosaurs? I want to preface that this was an actual email that I received, if you can believe it. Uh, it was from a new believer who was apparently told by somebody that if you believe that dinosaurs actually existed, then you're going against the Bible. And but, so this question obviously has implications to other things like Ken Ham and young Earth creationism uh, and how you interpret Genesis. Uh, but Tamara, can you be a Christian and believe in dinosaurs?
0: Yes. Can you Defend. be a, in Christian? Can you be a Christian and also believe that there's possibly life outside of earth
1: only if it's angels and demons
0: no that's not true so yes you can believe in dinosaurs um as well as like other life that has existed so the difficulty with somebody saying you cannot believe in dinosaurs um and be a Christian is saying that you can't believe in an animal that is now extinct and be a Christian. You can't believe in dodo birds
1: and be a Christian.
0: Right. So there's other animals that we know have existed on this planet that are now extinct. So they're real. They just no longer exist. So I feel like somebody saying that it's, there's no ground to stand on.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have the bones, like we have a considerable amount of bones that there were these large creatures that we have classified as dinosaurs and other right. prehistoric animals that are no longer walking the earth. Uh, at what I, point were they on the earth? When did they go away? Why did they right. go away? These are all questions that we can speculate on, but we can't really speculate on whether or not whether they, they existed. existed. I mean, you certainly can, but like it's kind of like speculating whether we landed on the moon or that's
0: not. That's what I was going to say. Um, we can speculate a whole lot of different things if that's like the way that we're going to approach this argument is... <laughs> dale do you exist maybe not i don't know it's speculation at this point so the the reality is there's evidence that we have that show large animals existed it is very true that they no longer exist like i think that's something we can all agree on but i guess that's not necessarily something we can all agree on i thought the big argument was uh how did the dinosaurs become extinct and when? I didn't know there was even the question of did they exist at all.
1: Yeah, I mean that's this is obviously represents the most extreme version of Younger. um cynicism or skepticism about uh, archaeological finds and so then the what dating they, of the how earth. How do
0: they explain these bones? That, I don't know. Look, it was all I've, fake, I guess. Every museum that has. Dinosaur bones is all fake, all around the world.
1: I suppose so. Okay. Uh, A follow up question: Can you believe that dinosaurs had feathers and still be a Christian? I'm sorry, what? Can you believe that dinosaurs had feathers and still be a Christian?
0: What do feathers have to? I don't. It's a
1: big debate. You're lying. Yeah, because the DNA of uh, dinosaurs was so closely related to that of like birds and like chickens. Okay. Um some archaeologists have theorized that, like, the T-Rex, it didn't have, like, scales like a reptile. It had feathers like a giant chicken.
0: Oh, that'd be scary. (laughs) That'd be... I mean... Just a 15-ton chicken
1: coming (laughs) at you.
0: I don't think it really makes a difference whether it had scales, feathers, fur. like, large, massive animals walked on the planet... They're no longer doing that, at least not animals of that size. I think the biggest animal, uh, this is going to show that I know nothing about the animal kingdom. It's okay. Um, you went to a Christian
1: university, so.
0: What does that mean?
1: We don't believe in dinosaurs. Oh, that's
0: not They're true. They're not going to teach you that. That's false. But <laughs> the biggest animal is really a mammal, right? Like, this, I'm going to sound so dumb right now. But <laughs> isn't it like a whale?
1: I honestly don't Do know, you what, know the biggest, what the biggest
0: animal is. It would
1: probably be a whale, I guess. See? If we're going by today's like but today's a, biggest animal. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Pr- yeah, probably a whale.
0: So let's say the largest animal is a whale, right? Like we all agree that a whale exists. Yes. Right? So then is the big concern nothing larger than a whale could have existed at no, some I don't point?
1: Think, I don't think the, the question is the the size of the animal. Um, But that if you believe dinosaurs existed, then that means that the Earth is older than 5,000 years old, which means that you affirm evolution. Therefore, you're going against the Bible, which is like an extreme version of a young Earth creationism. Uh, And there are other alternate theories for young Earth creationists that, you know, the dinosaurs didn't make it to the Ark, or there was a period of time where the dinosaurs were coexisting with humanity. Right, Uh, And and there's certainly arguments to be made there. I don't think that they are uh, holed up, uh, especially in the scientific community. Those are not the accepted views or uh, among the consensus of uh, scientists, but... There are scientists who do hold to that, most of them uh, young earth creationist Christians to kind of uh, solidify and account for everything in the fossil record, in the the view that the earth is only 5,000 years old. So I think that's kind of the heart of the question. But okay. whoever was like saying, you can't believe in dinosaurs, just doesn't like know that the bones exist, I guess, or is ignoring well, so that. Thinking, and is it... having an extreme view of yeah. a very literalistic reading of Genesis that... The dinosaurs weren't mentioned, therefore they must not exist.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, it, but then it's just like a five steps to remove from the original argument or the the original concern, which is really the age of the Earth. Um, and then to suggest that dinosaurs did not exist, like you just have a whole lot more you need to explain, unless you just want to think that these all these bones are just made up or. I don't know. Somebody created them in a factory.
1: Yeah. I guess, I mean certainly possible. Not not plausible, but possible. So, yes, you can believe in dinosaurs and still be a Christian. Uh, you can believe that dinosaurs had feathers and you'll be less cool, but you'll still be a Christian.
0: I mean, okay. it might be more cool cuz a dinosaur with feathers would be pretty terrifying.
1: <laughs> so. Just a giant chicken. I mean, coming to get you.
0: Isn't that what the intrigue about dinosaurs is? They're incredibly terrifying. Yeah. Right? I mean, all- Jurassic Park. Why do we all love Jurassic Park?
1: Right.
0: Anyway, sorry. Right. I know we're you're g- trying to. We're going to move on, move on okay.
1: from dinosaurs, and we're going to move uh, into good vibes. Okay. So, should Christians use uh, Reiki, healing crystals, or practice yoga? Someone emailed me just this morning about this, uh, and so this was a later addition to the list of questions. I had to look up what Reiki is, uh, but it's kind of like the. It's sort of like a massage, but not really, because uh, they don't actually like massage your muscles. It's when a trained Reiki practitioner or expert, uh, they put their hands just above your body or on your body, and they move their hands about to circulate bad energy out of your body and to circulate good energy in. So that's Reiki. Uh, Healing crystals are pretty much the same idea, but it's crystals. And so you, I'm not even sure what you do with them. Like you just hold them. uh, I think they're just like you. As necklaces, put them on your desk as tchotchkes. Yeah. Uh, and it's supposed to have the good vibes, the good energy mm-hmm. and filter out the bad energy. And then, of course, yoga, it has um, you know close associations with practices of Buddhism and Hinduism. Um, but in its modern usage in the West and in, in America, it's mostly seen as a completely secular form of exercise today. Um, but it still does have those roots. So, Tamara, what do you think you can answer this collectively or individually on the different uh, practices that have their roots in different ancient uh, Eastern religions.
0: Right. I think there's some just general, like, understanding of these types of matters that we can actually look to scripture on. And it doesn't give us a exact, like, don't do yoga, but you can do crystals, like, you know <laughs> you can do crystals
1: again not a reference <laughs> to drugs
0: sorry oh this is a really great podcast okay so um i am specifically thinking of uh when paul is addressing the church in corinth and a lot of what was happening there is they were living in this like sinful city full of pagan practices and there was a lot of um just cultural, traditional practices that were happening within the city of Corinth that were oftentimes tied to pagan gods. And so now you have somebody who's um, no longer worshiping those pagan gods and is now a follower of Christ. And so Paul's really talking about like, what do these people do? Do they just need to abandon all of their culture and all of their traditions because everything they do is tied in like pagan roots? Or... Is there a different answer? And so, um, in First Corinthians ten twenty three, uh, Paul says, "I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I had the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive." Um, and later on, he talks a lot about like just having freedom in the gospel, like we have the power to exercise our freedom as believers because we're no longer bound to the law in the way that the old testament was because of the blood of christ so there's a lot of freedom that a christian can exercise so the question then becomes how are we exercising these freedoms that we have in christ um sure like you don't have to worry about things being tied to certain things Um, but are these things going to become like stumbling blocks for your own faith, or are they going to become stumbling block blocks for somebody else's faith? And so I think um the the best I think another
1: good uh reference is talks about the same thing in Romans fourteen as well. Yes, around the same ideas.
0: Yeah, these ideas of like you are free in Christ, so you're no longer like bound to all of these rules and laws because of Christ has given you freedom, like He set you free. But with that freedom, do we then just go on and sin? The answer is no, right? Of course not. Um, and so then answering this question, like, is yoga a sin? Are crystals a sin? Are, what is it, Reiki? Mm-hmm. Is that a sin? So um, what these things really boil down to is uh, a matter of our heart. And that might sound like the, the cheesiest answer ever, but that's the way that God views us as people like he looks past uh, flesh and bone and he sees into our heart and so when we're practicing these things or we're turning to these things like what are the motives of our heart to even seek um, a Reiki who's gonna like help us get rid of good vibes like do we not well, you don't have... want to get
1: rid of the good vibes you want the good I'm vibes. so
0: sorry that we're trying to get rid of the bad vibes and like only keep the good vibes do we not have the savior of the world like In our hearts and in our lives, is that not the person that we should be going to instead of trying to move over to one of these other professionals um, or quote unquote professionals in regards to somebody who can get rid of bad vibes and only keep good vibes? Um, And I think the same thing is with the crystals, like what are our motives, what are our intentions about going out and seeking these things um, that cannot be fulfilled in Christ and I often think that people are seeking this because they don't think that Christ can be the ultimate fulfillment in their life. Uh, yoga, I think, is a little bit different because there are clearly some very like beneficial uh, physical um, aspects to yoga that we've seen very much within the Western culture. Like, You can separate the spiritual aspects. Now, if you're going to be sitting down and like, meditating and trying to like reconnect with uh, the the deeper spiritual meaning behind yoga then I think now you're like entering into some like shaky territory um but if you're you're literally just like becoming more like mobile and flexible and like prolonging your life which is a good thing because we want to do that um then I, I don't think that there should be any kind of shame around that think we're allowed to look at the benefits of something and as long as our heart's in the right place and as long as we know why we're seeking that is not to worship another god uh then i think we're in the clear
1: yeah i think with regard to reiki and the crystals specifically um i don't think that there's necessarily like a great spiritual peril there um, but it is more of a prudence thing. And when you look at it, there's absolutely no uh, scientific data to support the claims that either of those things is going to be helpful to you. Um, I don't think that it's terribly harmful. Um, I mean but uh, Christians we it? I mean, yeah, but Christians we have like, you know, an essential oil for everything. You know, we, we use essential oils like mint in the uh humidifier for our boys when they have uh, a cold cause it kind of clears the, the passageways. But then people get crazy with like, I have a essential oil for everything I have, you know, I put juniper on the back of my neck and it heals my bunions and like all these kinds of, you know, crazy things that's not really scientifically supported, but it's a placebo. And the same thing, this Reiki, you know, someone puts their hands over you or you have a crystal and somehow that makes you better. It's a placebo, um, which is not necessarily like, this is not the grave moral danger of our age. Uh but at the same time, it's like um, are you really gonna spend your money on crystals uh and invest in that and researching which crystals do what? Or like make an appointment to go to a Reiki massage expert and then go and pay and tip and spend your time and all that. Like, it just doesn't seem wise, um, or effective uh to get that placebo effect. Uh I don't see it as a grave moral danger, but if that's like really like you're a follower of Jesus and that's like really like a big obsession of yours. I want to drill into like, why, like why, like why yeah. is that something that you're putting your trust in? And then again, with the yoga thing, like you said, there are, um, health benefits that health experts and doctors would affirm from the, the physical things of yoga, where you're going to have greater core strength. You're going to have uh, greater endurance. You're going to have greater mobility, flexibility. So all of those things that aren't attached to any kind of, um, Buddhist mindfulness or anything like that there. I mean, there is certainly a, a, a Christ word mindfulness that you could practice by stilling your mind and, you know, focusing on your breathing. That's there's nothing inherently pagan about that. Um And Christians have been doing that, you know, since the beginning. Um That's what they do in monasteries all the time. Uh, and they've been doing so since like the third, fourth century. So I think you can separate those things out. Uh, But there is a question of your own conscience. Like if you just can't separate that out when it comes to like yoga or something like that, um, there are other ways to stay fit. So I I think that's a wisdom thing. I think it's a discernment thing. I think it's a what is your conscience up for uh, kind of a thing. But I know for my part, like when I stretch at the gym in the morning, like a lot of the moves I do are derivative of yoga poses. And so even if you're not like doing yoga, it's influential in uh, the wisdom that is offered in terms of general mobility and flexibility and core strength and stuff like that so it gets a little messy because i'm obviously not like i don't really know that much about yoga other than a couple of poses when i do some stretches i know that my hamstrings feel better so like that's that's all there is to it but maybe you just want to stay as far away from it as you possibly can that's okay too i feel like we need to hold space for for both of those thoughts
0: yeah, I think so. And depending on your own background, like if you are somebody who at one point in your life did practice like Hinduism um, and yoga was like a huge part of that spiritual aspect of your life, I can see somebody just wanting to completely abandon any part of uh, even the physical benefits of yoga. So there are aspects that is not just a blanket general, Christians should not or Christians should. Uh, I think there there's a level of discernment that Christians have to hold. And it's like you said, like what um, what decision do you need to make based on your own conscience?
1: Right. Yeah. Our next question is about uh, a more uh, kind of modern practice that has appeared in some sectors of the church. But we'll dive into that question in just a moment. So the next question, I actually received this question in a DM as well, and I found it uh, an intriguing query. Uh, why do historically black churches often refer to the pastor's wife as the first lady? Have you seen this? Have you? It's it's not exclusively um, in black churches, but uh, predominantly that's kind of the driving force. You've seen that where they'll they'll have like you know Reverend Doctor whoever and First Lady, yeah, uh, whatever her name is,
0: and oftentimes um, at least from what I've seen. In like the my own community of where I've grew up, is you often see their pictures. So mm-hmm. like
1: usually like with a dove in the background, yeah, or like the the bright but light in the corner.
0: They're seen together. Um, you don't usually have like a picture of just the um like Reverend. You often have his wife in the picture next to him. Like they're seen as this unit within the church.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and I wanted to drill into it a little bit more. So I tried to do some research online searching around like what are the origins of this? Um why does it uh specifically show up in the black church more than, you know, white churches? And um <laughs> you'd be surprised. Most of what I found was articles written about why you shouldn't call uh your your pastor's wife first lady. Um uh, most of them uh written by white people, but that's neither here nor there. But the whole argument is basically like uh that we don't see the term first lady in uh, the Bible to refer to a pastor's wife. And I'm like, well, we don't see children's ministry director either, a director of facilities, but we use those as well, and we're not writing articles about it. Anyways, uh, the best I could come up with is why, why this is part of like the black church more than the white church. And I think part of it is that uh, black culture tends to be a little bit more honor-shame oriented than white culture. Uh, and so they tend to show more deference to authority figures that they trust and respect, and that certainly applies within the church. So whereas like in, in white churches, Christians will refer to their pastor as Mark or Chuck, uh, in, uh, in a black church, uh, they are far less likely to refer to their pastor uh, by their first name. So they'll call him pastor, they'll call him bishop, they'll call him Reverend Dr. Johnson. Uh, and so they, they're just a, a little bit more honor shame in that sense, uh, certainly more than white churches, at least non-southern uh, white folks. Uh, In the South, generally, it's much more of an honor-shame culture than Mm -hmm. outside of uh, the southern states. So that's part of it. I think the other thing is that uh, black people are also uh, more likely to celebrate and honor other black people who are uh, in a a place of status or authority. And that's because as a historically marginalized group, uh, they tend to have that stronger group identity. And so like a win for one of them when one of them is honored all of them are honored. And so I think they they emphasize the community aspect and as part of that they honor the position that uh the, that a black person has been put in because that honors the whole community. And so they really want to emphasize that. And so calling the uh the pastor's wife who is, you know, very much involved in the ministry with the pastor, calling her the first lady is kind of a way to create a custom around that that honoring and that deference too, to recognize the the work and the leadership that she expresses in the church uh, and in that community, and so that 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 was kind of like the best that I could think of um, and I had asked, asked a couple people, and that's kind of uh, what I was able to arrive at and so when you think of it in those terms, it's actually you know there's something very beautiful and biblical about honoring the people who are serving you in church leadership. Our next question is an easy one. It's a a fan favorite topic that every pastor loves to talk about. And so I'll let you dive into this one. Tamara, is hell real? This is another DM I received. Is hell real?
0: This is a really fun question. Thank you so much for giving it to me.
1: I will say this. If you've ever spent the day at the DMV, it's pretty difficult to argue that hell in some form doesn't exist. (laughs) That's,
0: That's a good joke. It's is true. It yeah. I mean, the DMV does suck. But I would say that hell is a little bit more weighty than the DMV in terms of...
1: But I'm saying it's yeah. proof positive Got that it. something like hell exists. Got it. Okay. Yes.
0: You should just make an appointment next time.
1: Even if you make an appointment, <laughs> they still make you wait. That's why it's hell. You, there's understand. no way to get around it.
0: Yes. Um. In terms of whether or not a literal hell exists, the answer is Yes
1: unfortunately I mean yes. we can
0: see the truth of that all throughout scripture. I mean there's varying views of like what does that actually look like and how do we actually understand that but in in a short answer, yes, hell does exist.
1: mm-hmm I think a lot of our conceptions of what hell is or is like um, are much more culturally driven than uh, biblically driven. Uh, I think a lot of how we understand it to be is more influenced by cartoons and Dante's Inferno and whatever medieval imagination
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: and artwork uh, kind of created an image for us. Um, But hell does exist and hell essentially at its root is a separation from God God in eternity. And you can't be an Orthodox Christian Uh, without affirming a final judgment and separation from people who refuse to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved and redeemed and receive eternal life in his name. So that's part of the the creeds that go back to the beginning, certainly was affirmed in the New Testament. And then it was codified by literally every church leader in the Nicene Creed and every creed henceforward. Right. Um, But what hell... uh, looks like and what shape it takes there are a couple of different views that you could hold in that
0: yeah and the most popular one it not in popular in terms of like people like this one but just the the I one that some most, people
1: do fundamentalists seem to like it oh, a oh
0: yikes but just the one that's most commonly held that probably most people listening to this podcast are familiar with is what we call like eternal conscience torment to where like you are forever eternally existing in um separation from god and you are forever eternally tormented in that place um this is probably the um most preached on at least that i've heard yeah and this is what exists like you will not want to be there your friends will not be there no it will not be a party like you are going to be thirsty and you won't have water like just all of these aspects that Um, Just imagine the worst place you could ever exist and that is going to be hell and you are going to be there for eternity and you're going to be fully aware of that separation between you and God for all of eternity.
1: Right. And I'd say even within that view, there's a couple of different flavors. Um, There's some who would emphasize that for eternity, God is on a continual basis pouring out his wrath on you actively uh, in this active conscious torment. Um, I would tend to lean less that way, more towards that hell is an eternity separated from God. And if you're separated from God, you're separated from goodness itself. Because sin right. is not something that actually is like tangibly that exists. Sin is a privation of the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. And so eternally magnified to its fullest extent is a privation of God's presence and his goodness. And that's it, that itself is torture. And so that's the eternal conscious torment. Uh, the other one would be what is called uh, annihilationism or terminal punishment. And that view puts forward that when we die, we go to you know temporary spiritual places to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Uh, Paul writes, um, and those who are uh, not saved go to a place of discomfort. We see that in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man that Jesus told uh, that's Hades, that's the the Gehenna. Uh, and so that is a place that, I guess, by the way, this is something that eternal conscious torment people would also affirm. Uh, where it changes is that at the final judgment, when all the living and the dead are raised and judged, uh, that those who are saved will go into the eternal presence of God, and those who are not saved will be annihilated. They will cease to exist. Uh, and uh, it's kind of this idea that... Um, Eternal life is not inherent to our humanity anymore since the fall. And so unless we are connected to Jesus, who is life itself, then we will not have life of any kind and we will cease to exist. And others would add the caveat that that would happen after you would receive some measure of of wrath in proportion to the sin that you committed in your life. Um, so obviously Hitler uh, would get a different punishment than someone who is we would generally perceive as a good person, but who did not surrender their life to Jesus. But then after that, you would cease to exist. Then there's, So there's variances within the Annihilationist camp as well. So that second view is certainly less popular in evangelical circles, certainly. I think it's more popular uh, kind of outside our evangelical bubble. But um, the fact that it's less popular doesn't make it any less orthodox. So long as you're continuing to maintain all of those aspects, the sinfulness of humanity, that there is a judgment coming, that the only way to escape that judgment is through salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you don't, then you will receive a wrath. What that—that That is a final judgment that cannot be reversed, um, but what that judgment looks like there's a little bit of variance and there's a, there's a lot of different uh, arguments to be made. And we actually covered this on a podcast a long time ago that we'll, uh, link to in the show notes that we kind of dive into that a little bit deeper, um, and provide some more rationale behind that. Okay. Uh, last question here. And it is this, how are we to understand, uh, kind of supernatural things that we see in the Bible, particularly in the old Testament, whether it's a uh, magicians, uh, or it's sorcerers, all who draw on power from like other gods. And the example that this person gave was the magicians in Exodus, who replicated some of the plagues of Egypt, and they were kind of sparring back and forth with Moses on this, and they were calling on uh, their Egyptian gods. Uh, he also cited a Psalm uh, eighty two one, where it says that God renders judgment quote among the gods, and then another one that came to my mind. Uh, was this really bizarre story in 1 Samuel 28, in which King Saul, he goes to witches in a village called Endor, and they summon the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel so that Saul can talk to him. And it's just like, you have to go read that chapter. It's like crazy. You're like, this isn't the Bible. This is so weird. Um, but how are we to understand those passages? Like, what is the power that these folks are drawing on in when they're drawing power from their, quote, gods. Is this a parlor trick? I mean, did Samuel really come back to the land of the living from the dead to talk to Saul? What are your thoughts?
0: You always give me these ones. Um, Yeah, there's a lot to this. Obviously, uh, we see references to magicians, sorcerers, um, even, like, witches within the Old Testament and even the New Testament. Um, we yeah, there's sorcerers and witches sorcerers and things, yeah, and things like that in the New Testament. Um, mm-hmm. I'm even thinking of—I think it's—is it Genesis where the where Pharaoh is asking his magicians to interpret his dreams, and none of them are able to interpret his dreams, mm-hmm. and then who is it? It's the cupbearer Joseph who comes and is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and obviously you can. Read. There's a lot of chapters dedicated to the life of Joseph.
1: Yeah, it starts um, somewhere in chapter I don't know, forty or something yeah. like that.
0: Um, yeah. So it's valid to say like, what is happening? <laughs> Are magicians real? Is sorcery real? And what does that actually look like? Um, the best explanation that I can understand from scripture is that there there is a uh demonic realm that has power and um i think even scripture sometimes describes um the enemy as like the one who is has is the ruler of the air and so there is power that he has certainly it's not um greater than the power of god but to assume that the enemy is powerless um insofar as he's unable to do things, unable to like um, have interpretations or have um people hear him and listen to him and be his mouthpiece is to uh not take serious the enemy of God. Hmm. And so I think in a lot of these a lot of these places we can certainly see the power behind um some of these acts uh i think specifically of the plagues being like duplicated and not all of them were able to be
1: no just the first duplicated.
0: few um i think you can certainly say that the power at work was certainly not the spirit of god but was the spirit of the enemy himself and that was at work at what was happening in that time and place and um i think we need to be cautious of saying like anyone is like holding that power like they're demon possessed right um we don't want to just like throw that out and say people are demon possessed because they're doing something that we don't understand and it, it certainly isn't of god um but to also downplay and deny that people can be ruled by the enemy and um it, even in the new test may be demon possessed like we have to face that reality as much as we can't fully understand it
1: Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is that um, I think particularly with the Old Testament passages, we can speculate about, oh, was that a parlor trick that they were kind of, you know, doing some kind of illusion? Were they drawing on some kind of demonic power? We can make all kinds of speculation about that. But the interesting thing about if you go and you read those narratives is that regardless of who's writing the narratives, they don't really question that there's a world of. Uh, a spiritual realm that is drawing on power, and so uh, they seem to uh, respect these spiritual realms as existing in reality, and they don't question like what they are necessarily. Like there's no commentary given in Exodus, like oh these guys called on their gods, but the you know you know other gods don't really exist. So like there was obviously something it was a demon, or we don't know what it was. It just kind of like. And they called on their gods, and they did the the trick. So, so like we don't really know exactly what it is, except for it helps us to see into their worldview, which is different from ours. In that there are spiritual realities happening around us all the time, and there's different. They're given different names, and they're given different um, characteristics, and they're drawn on in different ways. But we that's all it kind of gives us. Like so, was that really Samuel? That. Uh Saul was talking to you, like the soul of Samuel, or was it some kind of demonic aberration? I don't know, but the story doesn't seem to question that Saul believed that it was Samuel, and that right. wasn't really the point of the story for them to give us like a comprehensive demonology. It was just to show like Saul's derangement in his his path towards you know becoming you know completely unhinged towards the end of his life. I think specifically with the reference to psalm eighty two one where it says that God renders judgment among the gods. I looked at a couple of commentaries on that one, and it's kind of a confusing passage because it's like what what's being talked about there. Um, there's a couple of different interpretations. One is that it's like literally referring to like the gods, like all of these pagan deities that are out there, like God is the one that renders judgment. Uh, there's another theory that it's referring to kind of like God is uh, basically commander in chief of all the spiritual realm, and so he's rendering judgment not necessarily among, like, God's pagan deities per se, but um, among the the angelic realm of things. And then there are others who say, well, that's more just an allusion to the fact that there are all these world powers, all these kings that see themselves as gods, but God is the one who's making judgment over all those things. So basically, however you take it, or you can take it all three ways if you want to, because all, all of them are true, uh, and I think rightful interpretations, that it's basically saying that God is rendering judgment in supreme authority to any other authority, uh, whether in the human realm or in the spiritual realm that could be put forward. So that's kind of the the uh, the purpose behind that reference there. Uh, but I think in so many other ways, we just don't know what was going on. Uh, we just know what the authors of Scripture told us. And um, it's a really interesting, like, thought experiment to see like what was happening but it's ultimately not in the text and a lot of times it's not necessarily the point of the text other than to illustrate the supreme authority of the God of Israel.
0: I think that's a good point you make is sometimes we can do word searches of scripture and just like where does the word magician pop up and where does the word like witch or sorcerer um, and then we can really go down these rabbit trails of like, what does the Bible have to say about these things? Um, but as you read those texts in isolation, they were never meant to give us like these details about, um, all things related to the spiritual realm. Right. They were all like pieces of the story or the narrative that are moving things forward, but they're not the central focus. And sometimes when we take a word search, we make that thing, the central focus and we don't actually um, like uh, zoom back out to figure out what else is happening and how does this detail of the magician or the sorcerer move the narrative forward um, and ultimately move it forward to, to God and what, the way he's relating with his people or the way his people are relating to him.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, we hope that these questions and responses have been helpful to you, um, or at least entertaining. Uh, but if not, you know, you get what you pay for and this is a free podcast. And so, you know, we did our best and we had fun along the way.
0: (laughs) We did. Yeah. These are always good ones when we can just like answer questions that, come in and and sometimes it's hard to reply in length about these types of things so
1: it is yeah we try but uh sometimes the the answer is a little bit more complex brief yeah. that uh, in a text than we can do here mm-hmm. um if you have questions and you'd like for us to cover them i don't know if you still feel like we would be a good authority to come to after this episode but if you do you can shoot us a dm on social media you can find us at kindness project uh across all the platforms uh, regardless of their name changes and things like that. Or you can send us an email to info at com. We've had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Kynos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kynosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.